down to the store, rushed in, and got a box of 50 Christmas cards. Never looked at them really. After all, they were on a big Christmas card display. And she went home and in a real hurry, she addressed the cards without reading the note inside, the message. Got them in the mail and felt real good about it. On Christmas Day, when everybody had left and it got, you know, kind of calmed down, she, she saw one of the cards of the 50. She had mailed 49 of them, the leftover card lying on the table. And so she picked it up and read the message for the first time, nearly fainted. The message read, this note is just to say a Christmas gift is on the way. Now, there, there, were, there were 49 friends expecting a gift which, which never arrived. God promised Israel a Messiah and he delivered on his promise on Bethlehem morning, the gift arrived. Unfortunately, Israel rejected the gift. He came into his own, and his own received him not. I read that Sylvester Stallone was rejected a thousand times trying to peddle the script to the movie Rocky. Just think how rich somebody could be if they had been willing to take a gamble on the movie. There were so many in Israel who were just not willing to take a gamble on him, not willing to commit their life to him, Messiah. Can you blame them? After all, he was not born like Messiah. What is all this shepherd and manger and stable nonsense? I mean, that story is thrilling to us, but to those people in that century, it was certainly not what they expected as an advent of their Messiah. I suppose that's part of the charm of the story. For Jesus could have been born in Caesar's palace, but what a tiresome story that would become. And yet you and I, after 2,000 years, hear the same story over and over again, and it's just as thrilling now as it was when we first heard it. God must have gotten a chuckle out of the joke he played on humankind, so impressed with outward appearances. Can you imagine the king of kings born in a manger? God must have had a tremendous sense of humor to take the hope of the ages, wrap it up in a bundle of flesh, and put it in a, in a sta uh, stable, a cattle stall. The King of kings and Lord of lords, born in a manger, certainly wasn't born like Messiah. And he didn't look like a Messiah. We have a certain image that we want our leaders, our rulers to project. Whatever that image is, we know that it wasn't what this Messiah projected. In fact, the image makers have been scurrying, trying to figure out why President Clinton's popularity has declined. After all, the economy's doing great and his popularity continues to plummet. And the image makers have come back with some answers. Some of them have said, 
We need to get him to stop running through Washington in those horrible jogging shorts that just doesn't look presidential. And some have said, let's keep him off of MTV. It's just not presidential that a, that a man would get on MTV and talk about the kind of underwear he wears because it just doesn't sound presidential. All of us have an idea of the kind of image the ruler is to project. It was what Ceausescu projected. Four years ago, this dictator of Romania was executed. He had the image of an emperor. He played the part. He had himself referred to as the one predestined man, the homeland hero of heroes. The state-run newspaper carried half of its print articles about him, comparing him to Napoleon and Alexander the Great. He lived in opulence. He was surrounded by luxury. He owned five former king's palaces, each one bedecked with gold and tapestries and wealth. When he went on a trip, he had hand-picked children to meet him, to greet him. Each one of them had been quarantined for 48 hours, lest he catch some of their infections. And when he visited a city, if there were withering trees, dying trees, they had, they had it spray-painted green so as not to distress him. And he had his name attributed to the authorship of 50 books, all the way from agriculture to philosophy to history, most of them he had never read. And he had his picture painted and, and portraits hung all over the nation, did this emperor. He really looked the part. I think that must have been how Herod acted. He just acted like an emperor. He just had the image. He just projected the picture we all have of rulers, not Messiah. Someone has imagined this scenario. He doesn't look like Messiah. Whispered a little boy to his father, and the middle-aged farmer motioned for his son to get quiet while the rabbi spoke. But he couldn't help thinking, he, he looks like such an ordinary man, not like the prophets told about. He seems so kind and so gentle, so unlike the ancient prophecies. No, he surely doesn't look like Messiah. He doesn't act like Messiah, thought a, thought a Pharisee as he observed Jesus from a distance. And these people he associates with, really, and these men he has chosen as his disciples, a bunch of losers, if I've, ever, if I've ever seen some. No, how does he ever expect to expand his kingdom with people like that? He certainly doesn't look, certainly doesn't act like Messiah. I'm really impressed with his broad knowledge of Scripture, fought a Sadducee as he listened nearby, but he sure doesn't sound like Messiah. When he talks about, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, we don't need somebody meek. We need somebody aggressive. And this new teaching he's teaching, that if your brother strikes you on the one cheek, turn the other also, what does he want us to do? Let our enemies run over us? Sure doesn't sound like Messiah. And so they crucified him because he wasn't born like Messiah. He didn't look like Messiah. He didn't act like Messiah. He didn't sound like one. A sufferer, a foot washer, not our Messiah. He just doesn't look the part. 
And he didn't die like Messiah. On this day that we celebrate his birth, we need to anticipate the agonies of his death. Holman Hunt did. He painted a picture entitled The Shadow of the Cross. It's a picture of Jesus as a young man working in his farmer's, in his father's carpenter shop. It's evening time now, and the last ray of sun kind of slips through the crack in the door as Jesus rises from his crouched position where he's been working at the bench all day. And to get a little relaxation, he stretches out his hands like this, his arms, and a shadow of a cross appears on the wall behind him. Mary, his mother, is standing nearby, and there's a look of of travail on her face as she anticipates the cross. It was a horrendous obstacle for that first century Jew to overcome, to believe that Messiah, who had come to deliver them, would be crucified on a cross like a common criminal. Who could ever believe that? It's what Paul calls the foolishness of God. And he says that God is so confounded wisdom so that man could not boast of superior or adequate intelligence or virtue to deserve salvation. For the foolishness of God is this, that man can never know eternal life except through faith in the finished work of Jesus on Calvary. Had it been you or I, we would certainly have gone a different route than that. A man by the name of Richard Bandler, a psychotherapist, went into a, into a mental hospital and a man approached him and identified himself as Jesus Christ. So you're Jesus Christ, he said. Yes, I am, he said. I'm Jesus Christ. He said, hold on just a second. Wait here just a minute. And the psychologist left for a while, came back with a tape, a tape measure, and said, stand up straight just there, right, just a second. And so he began to measure him from his shoulders to his, to his heels. The guy was a little bit perplexed at what was going on. That's not normally how you would respond, I think, to a person who just identified himself as Jesus. He said, just a minute, I'll be right back. He went back, he came, he came back with a, handful of nails and a couple of boards and he began to nail those boards together in the shape of a cross and raised the cross up and, and the man said what, what, what is this all about? What are you doing? He said well if you were Jesus Christ you would know what I'm doing and the man said hold on I'm not Jesus Christ now that might have been a cruel way to to shake a man to face reality, but the fact is that most there are many of us who would be willing to be identified as Messiah. Some come through this life doing just that. But who is there among us who would be willing to pay the price he paid? Well, the gift has arrived. Samuel Beckett has a play entitled Waiting for Godot. Two men, miserable and wretched, sitting out under a dead tree, waiting for Godot. 
He's never identified, but most believe that Godot is God, a code name for God, because they have said that when he comes, Godot comes, that he will tell them the meaning of life and give them significance. But every day, a little girl, a little child comes and tells them, Godot's not coming today, he will come tomorrow. Sadly, he never came. Messiah has come. The gift has arrived. The question is, what are you going to do about it? Will you receive the gift and commit your life to the gift? Will you receive the gift of eternal life? Because he that has the Son has the life, and he that hath not the Son hath not the life. The question is not, is he really Messiah? The question is, will you, do you believe him to be? And understand that his coming was the greatest demonstration of love one has ever observed. A lady was getting ready for Christmas Day and she asked her little boy to shine her Sunday shoes for her. And so he did. And when the shoes were shined, she handed him four quarters as payment. On Sunday morning or on Christmas morning, she was getting ready for church and she started to put on her newly shined shoes and felt something in the toe of them. And she reached in the toe of the shoes and found a crumpled piece of paper wrapped around four quarters. And on the paper a note that read, I done it for love. I've never heard this, but I have a feeling that after Christmas was over and the star had disappeared and the shepherds had gone back and Mary and Joseph picked up that little baby and left, that the keeper of the stable went out to prepare it again for the cattle and the horses and whatever they put in it. And as he was so doing, thinking to himself, what a night, night of nights must have occurred here. He must have seen a little piece of crumpled paper in the corner of the stable. And when he read it, it said, I done it for love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. The question is, will you take the gift? Let's pray. Our Father, we're so thankful that we can gather together in this place and hear again a message that never gets old. 
And in this place today, Father, there must be those who would be willing to say, I want what God has given to me. And by faith, I so accept. And there must be some in this place, Father, who need a new touch from above. Let their lives and hearts be open to that, dear Lord. May there be many who would respond publicly, we pray in Jesus' name. I wouldn't leave today without giving you an opportunity to publicly declare your faith in Jesus Christ or to make whatever decision God has laid on your heart on this wonderful day to make. So while we stand, while we sing, we invite you to come.